Good morning. I hope everyone is well today in this beautiful day. I had to think uh, the devotional last week with, when Ray talked about how the, the universe and how it all works together and, and how everything revolves around each other. And, and uh, it's wonderful that God planned a day like this for us. And I think he is involved in all of this. So appreciate that. I'm going to read uh, from John uh, chapter 4, verse 1 through 42. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore... Wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you a living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all these things. Jesus said to her, I who speak... To you am he. And at this point his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking to her? The woman then left her water pot, went her her way into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat, of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? 
Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. Do you not say, There are still four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, Lift up your eyes, and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans that of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. <clears throat> if you look at the beginning, right here, um, it said that Jesus made disciples and baptized more disciples than John. But then it talks about how Jesus didn't baptize himself, do the baptizing himself. Um, he, uh, he seemed to, he was like John the Baptist, the same with John the Baptist. They, he baptized with the water. But Jesus was there to save them. Um, John the Baptist was there to help them to repent so that they were ready to be baptized. But with Jesus, he was there to save them. And so he wasn't there to baptize them or prepare them for that necessarily, um, except by the deeds that he did. Uh, and it also says he left Judea and departed to Galilee. And I thought about why um, he would do that. Um, and perhaps because the Pharisees were watching who was, um, who was being more of a power, who was become having more people follow them. And Jesus was had more followers now than John the Baptist. And it also caused problems with John the Baptist's followers. They, there was some conflict there. So I think for both reasons, he decided to, to leave that area and move on uh, to Samaria. And uh, he went through Samaria because it was the shortest way, I read. Um, and But that would bring him into an area where there was more conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans. Uh, and in verse 5, it talks about how this area was Jacob's well. And um, that was where they could get water. But it was, I think it's just another example of the divine destiny that, that God does, that he has. That he, um, he prepared this well how many years and years and years in the past. And it was there ready for Jesus to meet this woman and uh, minister to her. Uh, he sent his disciples away. Uh, for food. It was the time of it was, I think, about the, the dinner hour. And uh, they were probably hungry. Had, I think he had more reasons to send them away than just because they needed food. Uh, and also, to send them away to buy food from the Samaritans wasn't something that the Jews really wanted to do either. So, uh, But he sent them away. And I believe that is because if there were 13, if there were 12 disciples and Jesus and there were 13 Jews there. Would that woman have come to the well to even draw water? Would, would a woman go to a well where there were 13 men, especially Jews, um, to draw the water? So I think he sent them away knowing that this woman would, would come and draw water. Uh, and 
Jesus invited conversation with this woman. He started the conversation. And what, she didn't speak first. He did. And, uh, but she replied in, and I might be reading more into this, but it seemed like she replied in more of an antagonistic way or a, um, an angry way, saying, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for water? And Jews have nothing to do with us. Probably having that feeling of inferiority that the Jews would put upon them, thinking the Samaritans were inferior. So, uh, but Jesus spoke with, uh, broke with custom, and uh, he uh, talked to her, and he spoke with compassion to her. Uh, I think it was the, I'm not in this version in John at least. I think that is the first time that he really spoke of being the Messiah to anyone. He intimated it to Nicodemus a little before, but he didn't really come out and say, I am the Messiah. Um, And it's definitely the first woman that he told um, that he was the Messiah. So this was a pretty significant step. He had avoided it um, in the past. So, uh, And the woman states that uh, she knows the Messiah is coming, so she has an education in, in uh, some scripture and what, um, what is coming. And she knew, said she knows the Messiah is coming and that will tell us all things. Well, Jesus had just told her all things about herself. So that was a, a little proof there that um, she had something to think about when he was able to tell her all about herself and that was something that the Messiah would do when he came. So then he specifically said, after he told her that eternal life was available to her, and that this person who was coming, the Messiah, was him. He specifically said, I am he, I I who speak am he. Uh, It was an interesting process here uh, that led to her becoming a believer and also led others in the city to believe. Um, Do I fear antagonism? Jesus did not fear that, obviously. Um, But do I fear antagonism from people that aren't Christians, but that I show my faith to? Do I not speak up because I worry that perhaps they might be angry with me or make fun of me or just basically um, ignore me? Do I do that? Do I get to know someone first before I try to minister to them or speak the gospel to them? Do I get to know them like Jesus did here? He already knew about her, but he had to let her know that he knew. He had to let her know that he understood what she had gone through in her life and that um, he he knew her personal struggles. And he may have talked more things to her than is actually written down here. But it seems like he developed a very quick relationship with her as far as being someone um, that would understand her pain or her needs. Um, And she immediately forgot about the water and went into the city and got more people. Um, And it's interesting that all these men came out. If she was someone of insignificance, would they have followed her? Maybe she, people knew her in the city very well. Maybe she was a prominent person. Um, and it doesn't say here that um, these five husbands, that she divorced them or anything. They could have died. We don't know. We don't know what, what um, she had gone through. But Jesus knew, and she found out that he knew. 
So that was a comfort. And so that was getting to know her, at least giving her the idea that he knew her. Uh, do I try to bash someone over the head with scripture when they're not ready to be, to be, you know, exposed to it? Or do I develop that relationship in the gospel? Do I quietly listen? Do I speak to them, get to know them? And through how I live and how I speak to them, do I prepare them to hear or to see what the gospel means? Uh, do I see the needs in my own backyard? I mean, we can read about all the problems in the world, and it's become a very crazy place. But it's always needed people to minister to others and to spread the gospel. But do I see it in my own backyard and not just in faraway places? Um, and it says here uh, at the end, um, it talks about looking up. Uh, I can't see it here, but it talks about looking up. And do I, um, only by looking up can we see the people around us. If I'm not looking up towards the Lord and towards, towards um, uh, God, then I'm certainly not going to see the needs around me. And if I'm looking up, I'm not thinking about myself, I'm thinking about God, and then I'm able to relate to other people and see them. So it says, Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And as I said, if I look up, then I'm going to be able to look around and see the, the harvest that is out there right in my own backyard, and um, hopefully I can... Um, take advantage of that and spread the Lord's gospel. So, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this word that we're hearing today. Thank you for church and the fact that we can gather together. Appreciate the, the people here and uh, their love for each other and their love for us as a family. And we just thank you for, for uh, being there for us and for the living water that you provide us. And thank you for this beautiful day outside. In Jesus' name, amen. pray. Father in heaven, thank you for another day you have blessed us with. Thank you for the days you have given us and the opportunities that we have. Thank you we can be here this morning. Bless Melody leads out that our hearts and minds can be open to what you would share through it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. Greetings in Jesus' name and welcome to each one this morning. Thank you for that fitting song. Very appropriate for what I have entitled. It is the title of the message, so teach us to know more days. It comes from a psalm, a verse in Psalm 90 that we'll like to look at before long. It seems that, you know, our days are numbered by God. And the psalmist, which we'll look at, which was Moses, he also had an interest in, in learning that, understanding that. I'm reminded of this one guy who had a backwards calendar in his office, and each day he'd rip a page off, and it started with 75 or 80 years of, of, of time. 
And uh, as it got down to the end, you could see it was, it was, like I said, sort of a backwards daily calendar. I never did it myself, but I thought that'd be kind of an interesting exercise. Start your years at 80 and each day tear, tear, a, page or tear, tear a page off. And it'll give you a constant reminder of the allotted time, if you will, that we have left. Now, we all know that that's certainly not the same for everyone. 70 or 80 years is, is our sort of expected uh, lifespan here, but that varies a lot. Those of you who were here would know who, who knew Elmer Stolzfus lived 32,860 days. I don't know if he ever did the math, but I looked up his obituary, and according to my calculations, that's what he had here, 32,860 days. How many days have you lived? Don't do it now, but sometime figure that out. Might be an interesting exercise. 32,860, which is 90 years and 10 days, sounds like a long time. I'm, I'm guessing if we'd ask Elmer or anyone near his age, he'd probably say, no, that was not a very long time. It came quickly. And I'd like us to sort of, if you can, put yourself in that type of a mindset. To a 20-year-old, 70 or 80 years sounds like a long time. <clears throat> and uh, according to scripture, it's sort of compared to a vapor or a fog in the morning. If you live up on top of the hill where I do, especially in the summertime, I'll head to work, head down into town. And you'll see this fog over the lakes. It's a beautiful scene. Nice and sunny up at my place. And as you get down to Penyan, it's all foggy. And in, an, in a short time, that fog is all evaporated, burned up from the sun. That's the picture that Scripture gives us of our lifespan. Or maybe grass as it dries in the sun, or even a tail that is told. Let's turn to Psalm 90, and we'll read that psalm, make a few comments from it. <clears throat> psalm 90 is a psalm written by Moses, and it's, it's an old psalm. Now, my Bible gives an introduction. It says, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Moses, and we'll get into this, the setting and all this, but Moses is reflecting on his experience in his life and draws back to some, some, some scenes from their journey in the wilderness. Let's read this entire psalm. Psalm 90, verse 1. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, Return, ye children of men. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday, when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as a sleep. In the morning they are like grass which groweth up, and in the, in the, in the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by thine anger, and by thy wrath we are troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. 
for all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is there strength, labor, and sorrow. For it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And let it repent thee concerning thy servants. So satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us, and the years wherein thou we have seen evil. Let thy work appear unto thy servants, and thy glory unto thy children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. Now part of uh, Moses had a very, seemed to have a very keen sense of who God is, and he's focusing on his, him being eternal. Always was, always will be. <clears throat> In Genesis 1, we have the account of creation. And it starts with the earth and everything that we see. There's no record of God's beginning. There's no record of anyone or anything creating God. He always was. Moses seems to understand that, and he's, he's referring to that here. It's thought that this, this psalm would have been written after Israel's failure of faith there at Kadesh Barnea, Numbers 13, 14, we'll get that in a little bit later, when the whole nation of Israel was condemned to a journey in the wilderness for 40 years or until the older generation had died. Moses also himself later disobeyed God by striking the rock and also forfeited his entrance into the promised land. But in spite of all this, Moses was still, as it says here, a man of God. Even though he did not enter the promised land, he was, you, we, we have record of that, he met with Jesus and three of his disciples and Elijah on that mountaintop experience. So even though he did not get to enter the earthly promised land, he certainly did gain his eternal reward and uh, happened to show up with uh, Jesus and, th in, and his three disciples there on that mountaintop experience. Our eternal God, Moses understands that and sees that. And he addresses God as a creator who existed long before, uh, before the earth was formed. We have that right here in the first couple of verses here. Um, well, we see here that God is not bound by time like we are. Um, compared to God, our time is short. <clears throat> he also uses that analogy like a watch in the night, which was four hours. They had a, a watch, meaning a guard, this was a military term, it was a couple hours long, and that's all it amounted to. He compares our life as a watch in the night. Psalm 14, verse 1 says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. You know, there's a lot of people who are wrestling with that question. 
is there a God? Some would very emphatically say, no, there is not. Scripture calls that person a fool. And then in, in Romans 1.21, because that when they knew God, this is referring to that same person, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. <clears throat> Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, or a self-proclaimed wisdom apart from God, without God. A person that has all the knowledge without the wisdom of God is lacking a very important or key element in his life. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Our eternal God, Moses <clears throat> realizes and acknowledges this. Even, he says, before the mountains were brought forth or even before the earth was created from everlasting to everlasting, from always was been to always will be. Everlasting to everlasting. I, I like that thought. But this psalm is, as I said, sort of given in the context of living in a sin-cursed earth, which we are in as well. We are still in that. He begins that there in verse 11. Seems to paint sort of a dark and hopeless picture for us as human beings. Moses seems to re be reflecting on Israel's sin at Kadesh Barnea. Remember that time? And we'll turn to that. Turn to Numbers 13. Uh, we'll read a couple verses there. They had sent a group of spies to spy out this promised land and bring back a report. And what they saw was very uh, encouraging. It looked like a very fruitful, a very prosperous land, and they brought a few of the evidence of that. And they were there's a couple of them who were really excited and all fired up and ready to go, but there was others who were not. There was others who were a little bit uh, reluctant and fearful and scared. Let's read Numbers 13, and I'm going to start there in verse, verse 26 and this is after they came back and were coming to the people with their report Numbers 13 verse 26 and they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh and brought back word unto them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land and they said and they told him and said we came into a land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, here's where this nevertheless, but, we might say, comes in. The people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. So they are painting sort of a hopeless, uh, we can't do it type of a picture. Verse 30, And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. <clears throat> but when the men that went up with him said, 
we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw are men of great stature. And there we saw giants in the son of Anax, which come, to the, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. So they looked at themselves as the size of grasshoppers compared to the, the local people of that land. And I think uh, this is the context in which Moses is writing this. He is uh, reflecting on this, and we see that, turning back to <clears throat> Psalm 90 again, um, certainly this was, Moses relied on this report, and it was a 10 to 2 ratio of those who were those who were against versus those who are for. So they were greatly outnumbered. And you know how people are. We, we like, we, we kind of go with majorities, uh, often at the expense of facts. If there's a, uh, a minority that has some interesting facts, we'll tend to go with the majority uh, attitude. And that's what happened here. And I think starting here in verse 7, we see Moses reflecting on that. Thinking of living in a sin-cursed earth, we are consumed by thy anger and by thy wrath we are troubled. Of course, that not only applies to, to them in that case, but to us as well. That's where we are living as well. Uh, it was uh, their lack of faith that prevented them from entering the promised land. And we see that, we know that even though Moses actually lived to be 120 years old. Joshua 110, but he still came up with this this uh, time frame of 70 to 80 years of age as being the limit of for humans. They were they were living on the wrath under the wrath and anger of God. And the next couple of verses, seven through eleven, sort of uh, uh, sort of point to that because they were very directly living under God's wrath, so to speak, um, referring to the sin-cursed earth in which they were living. And then I'd like to get to verse, uh, verse 12, where he says, So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And I'm thinking <clears throat> to that thought that we brought out earlier about the fool denying the existence of God. Certainly, this is key in keeping us in this, in this uh, state of mind with uh, an eternal view in mind. Lord, teach us to number our days. Verse 12. How can we allow God to teach us? Or who but God is able to teach us this? It's not something that we'll learn on our own strength. In fact, we as humans have a tendency to block that part out of our minds, to, to block this truth out or suppress this truth. Romans 1.18 says that, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. <clears throat> Although life is short and we live in a sin-cursed world, 
Uh, God's mercy and protection for his people is very real. And Moses recognizes this right here from the verse, verse 1 of this uh, Psalm 90. He refers to God's faithfulness for all generations. And uh, there was quite a few generations from the beginning of time until Moses. And Moses was able to see that God had been faithful to all generations. Um, truly, he had, in spite of living in a, in a world that's, that's uh, cursed with sin, he's also realizing God's uh, mercy to all generations. God is also a, a redeeming God who promised a redeemer for his people way back in the garden, Genesis 3.15, we see that. Um, another, another thing that we need to constantly keep in mind as we think of our, this thought of, of uh, numbering our days, having our days numbered. Another, another thought that came to my mind is, is uh, as we think of keeping this in our mind, is, is teaching, ask God to teach you patience. And maybe that might be kind of a tall order. How do we get patience? James 1 tells us, through the trying of your faith. Through the trying of your faith, that's what brings patience. But I also like the, like the thought of, of uh, living with an eternal view. And I'm going to turn to Hebrews chapter 11 for a reading there. Hebrews 11 is the end of the faith chapter. And it goes through, this is a long chapter, 40 verses, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but we have a lot of faithful individuals mentioned by name here. Um, a lot of them that we're familiar with. And then toward the end of the chapter, there's also a lot of unnamed individuals that are mentioned here. Um, and then in, in the end of the chapter, verse 35 to 40, it sort of sums it up, and I'm going to read that as we think of living um, with an eternal view. Hebrews 11, uh, begin reading verse 35. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of cutting into the middle, right into the middle of this list here, but I'm going to read verse 35 to 40. Hebrews 11, women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had trials, cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were shorn asunder, they were tempted, were slain with swords, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Of whom the world was not worthy, they wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. These all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God, ha God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. <clears throat> so this is the unnamed group of people that um, the writer has in mind here. And even certainly since this was written, since this was recorded, this went on. There is still, um, this is still true of people today, of, of those who really do live with an eternal view. Those, there's, there's many who um, have and are still suffering in, in these ways here. But living with an eternal view, an eternal mindset. Job 1.21. Let's turn to Job chapter 1. I'm going to read a few verses from that just to get the setting. We again have a very uh, faithful individual, faithful man, that who was... Certainly, well, 
they refer to Job as having a lot of patience. We hear that term. This guy has the patience of Job, and I can, I can see why. Job certainly, um, I'm not going to read this whole chapter, but it says that he was a, a very um, wealthy man. He's, he was successful, not only in acquiring material goods and assets, but also in his spiritual life. He was very successful spiritually. He had understood that God was... He was who he was because of God's part in his life. And we see here that, that uh, there in uh, the first couple of verses, it, it, it lists, verse 3, lists all his assets. And in a couple of verses after that, it, the rest of the chapter speaks of how they were just taken from him one at a time until he was left with nothing but him and his wife. And even his wife turned against him. He was... He was um, not suffering physically, but everything that he owned was taken from him, including his family, his children. At the end of the chapter, Job 1.21, he says, and this is his testimony, Naked came I out of my mother's room, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charge God foolishly. What a challenge. And it doesn't end there either. Satan came back for another try. He wanted another shot at him. And God allowed him to inflict him with pain and suffering. Only don't take his life. That was the limit that God put on Satan. And again, it's a long book. I'm not going to go through all that. Job maintained his, his integrity and acknowledged God for who he was. Now, certainly Job realized later on in life that maybe he wasn't quite the guy he thought he was, but he certainly did acknowledge God for whom, for whom he was. Realize that everything he had came from God, and it's all going to stay here when he leaves his, his earthly goods. Certainly a wonderful testimony. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So turning back to that psalm again, um, when you think of that psalm where Moses is asking God to teach us to number our days, the next thing I want to notice that he says, satisfy us. That, we find that in verse 14. Oh, satisfy us early with thy mercies. You know, Israel had seen God's mercies displayed many times. And he's reflecting on this. Sometimes it does us good to reflect on God's mercy on our lives. And we might have to sort of make a conscious effort to do that from time to time. Things might not always go the way we want. But when we really stop and sit back and reflect on your life you really do see God's goodness and his mercy in our lives. Lamentation 3. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Jeremiah's testimony of God's working in his life. Every morning they are new. Certainly every morning we do wake up and reflect on that as we see God's faithfulness and uh, then as we reflect on that, we too will rejoice in, in, in God's 
God's faithfulness. Um, he also goes on to uh, verse 16. I like that verse. Let thy work appear unto thy servants and, the, and thy glory unto thy children. Moses was asking that God's um, glory appear unto his children or be renewed, that, that they be reminded of that. Uh, again, God had shown himself very strong and powerful to these people throughout their, especially during, uh, during the journey uh, through the wilderness, especially during that time. And he's praying that God's uh, work in that sense would, con- would continue in their lives. When you think of God um, directing them, leading them, they had this cloud that hovered over them during the day and at night, it, 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 it glowed like it, it would have glowed in the dark. That was how God directed them and led them through the wilderness. And you'll see that um, I, I, if you've ever followed their, 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 their journey through the wilderness, it was, it was just a, 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 literally a circling around back and forth in that land for years and years in an effort to meet out God's judgment on them for that lack of faith that they had way back in Kadesh Barnea. Such a, it, it, it seems kind of, kind of a sad story, but that's exactly what happened. And God, even during that time, when you look back, uh, follow some of the events, you can really see that God really did have their best interest in mind and his mercies truly were new to them every morning. I think Moses may have also been thinking of that daily supply of manna that they gathered. Every morning they got up, there is their groceries, if you will, that somehow fell out of the sky by God, and they gathered it up, and that was what sustained them through their wilderness wanderings. Probably something else that, that Moses had in mind when he thinks of God's mercies appearing to them new every morning. And I think certainly it's something that we can, we can think of that too. I, you know, I find myself waking up every morning and realizing that I'm still here. I'm healthy. I feel well. You know, you had a good night's rest and you feel ready to face the day. Certainly this is all part of what Moses uh, was reflecting on when he thinks of, of uh, let thy work appear unto thy servants, or God's work in our lives, or God's uh, mercies being bestowed on us every day. <clears throat> and he's praying that, that uh, God's work would remain before their eyes in some way. And I guess this is certainly my prayer for us as well, that uh, we can draw from this as well. As we as you wake up each morning, may you be able to see God's mercies in a new way and his faithfulness again um, in our lives. Oh, satisfy us early with thy mercies, in verse 14, that, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Moses is now again, as I said, verses 7 through 11, he's kind of reflecting on that dark time in their lives. But since then, he's now focusing more on God's faithfulness and his mercy. We certainly, most of us probably look back to a time in our lives, we also went through a time in our lives that, that was very similar to that as well. But as we get through that and focus ahead at God's, at, at, at our future, 
and what God has in store for us, we can hopefully certainly come to that point as well where we will be able to see God's glory displayed again in some way. And then in verse verse 17, his desire is that we would be established. And he makes that request twice. And establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. I think this was a way of of emphasizing that as well. Uh, You know, when we think of of uh, God's wisdom, God's eternalness in, in light of ours. Um, also thinking of those who um, have knowledge or so forth without, without wisdom. I had to think of that one verse in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 25. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. There's so many comparisons that we can make of God's God's wisdom and uh, his his knowledge compared to us, it, it's just uh, it, it's it, I guess it's kind of a kind of a uh, no comparison you might say. Um, it, it just it, it just reminds me of a couple verses that we have there in um, in the end of Isaiah 40. Maybe I'll invite your attention to that as well. Isaiah 40, um, we have again. The, the writer comparing uh, God's uh, attributes with ours. Isaiah 40, uh, verse 28. Hast thou not known and hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the earth, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. We try in our feeble ways to make a comparison but I think this pretty well sums it up. There is no searching of his understanding. Verse 29. He giveth power to the faint and to them that have no might. He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And certainly, uh, as we think of this... Um, Thinking of uh, our days being numbered, our days being allotted to, to a certain amount of time here, this will certainly help us and keep that in mind as we think of, uh, of, of God and His, first of all, Him being eternal, as Moses did right here, started off with that, and then going on to some of the comparisons that we can make, which are sort of a feeble attempt and yet do help us in some way. May God help us as we continue our lives that we might be in some way able to number our days and have a more of a constant um, awareness of eternally, eternity as we live our lives here. Let's kneel as we pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that you are who you are, Thank you that you are eternal. Even before the mountains or the earth was brought forth, you were there. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and mercy as well. Even though you have you existed before the mountains and the world was created, in spite of that, you are also a God of love and mercy. Thank you for 
your faithfulness in this way. Father, we realize that we are very much um, undeserving of this, but it's because of your love and mercy and your grace in our lives that we can trust in you and rely on you. So we pray your continued blessing now as we go from here. Lord, may we be ever mindful and aware of our undoneness, our inadequacies to you. Thank you that it's only through Jesus Christ that we can um, come to you through him that we can be saved and be part of, be your child and be able to serve you. Help us, Father, to be aware of this and mindful of this as we go through our lives. We are here for a short time, really a short time in comparison to eternity. Yet you have allowed us this time, 70, maybe 80 years, give or take a few years. But this is our time here and may we be able to use this in a way that is pleasing to you. And may we ever be mindful of your presence and your calling on our lives. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.